And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4. And with those words from the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, we're introduced to an amazing scene of worship in heaven as John's vision continues to reveal events in the end times. He's used the trumpet judgments. He's used the seal judgments. But quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments compared to the bowl judgments are like a walk in the park on Sunday with ice cream compared to what's coming. I'm Rick Freeman, and this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In our year-long study entitled The Revelation, we've been studying over the last several months the growing intensity of God's judgment on the world during what is known as the Tribulation Period. We've looked at the seal judgments and the worldwide devastation that results. We've seen the trumpet judgments and all that occurs during that time. Well, today in Revelation chapter 15, we're brought to the eve of the final judgments on the world, the bold judgments. They will be of greater intensity than anything we've seen before them. And next week, we'll see their impact on the world. But before we do, Pastor Clay is going to show us from Revelation chapter 15 what we can learn about our worship and our God. We're glad you've joined us as the Revelation series continues on Crosswalk. Chapter 15 is where we are today. Revelation chapter 15, by the way, is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. Uh, some people actually believe that it, that it shouldn't even be a chapter, that it should have just been part of chapter 16. Uh, you, you may not be aware of this, but the Bible did not originally have chapter and verse uh, in there. It was, they were letters written and they were documents written, but they didn't have chapters and verse. Those were, those were added later. Uh, to help us with the ease of our reading. And they do help, but some people believe that, that chapter 15 really is just an introduction to chapter 16, which uh, it is to a very large extent. Revelation chapter 15, let's begin in verse 1. Uh, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things, I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, 
and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Revelation chapter 15. John starts out with these words. John is the author, the writer of the book of Revelation, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He starts out with these words. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Another sign. This is the third sign. This is the third reference to a great sign that John makes. The first two are found in Revelation chapter 12. The first one is the, the woman clothed in the sun or with the sun, representing or symbolizing the nation of Israel. The second great sign was the great red dragon symbolizing Satan and the Antichrist's empire. I don't have time to explain. Well, how do you know it means all that? Go back. Listen to those other messages. <laughs> um, but those were the first two signs that of these three great signs. Now, in Revelation chapter 15, John mentions another great, and he adds the adjective marvelous to it, a great and marvelous sign. And here's what he says the sign is that he sees. He sees seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, literally, seven angels who had seven plagues, the last ones, because in them the wrath of God is finished. It's pretty obvious from John's words here that, that, that with the coming of these judgments that we're going to look at actually in chapter 16, they don't come today, they're actually, this is the, kind of leading up to them in the in these last judgments, these bold judgments as they're referred to, uh, come in chapter 16, that they are the end. They are the final tribulation judgments that God is going to send. Now, we know the whole idea of, of judgment in eternity and that what still God has there for individuals. But as far as the judgments during the tribulation period on the earth, this is what God is do- doing right now. He's bringing these final judgments onto the earth, and this is it. These are the last ones that are going to occur. Uh, the uh, the uh, seal judgments in Revelation chapter 6 and the trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8 and 9, they were uh, part of God's judgments. They were part of God purging the earth, which is what he's in the process of doing. But they were also designed, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments were also designed to have their effect on, on men, on mankind on the earth and to bring people to a place of repentance to draw people unto himself. And we've looked at that, that there will be millions of people who will come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, especially in the first half of the tribulation period. And so the trumpet judgments and the, and the seal judgments have that as part of their purpose as well. That's not the case with these last seven. As we will see when we get to chapter 16, these last seven have as their purpose to simply... To, to finish or to complete the wrath of God. Well, that's a, that's a phrase that shows up a lot in the book of Revelation. You know what? Wrath of God. We first see it in chapter 6 and verse 16 where it talks about the wrath of the Lamb. And the Lamb symbolizes who? 
Jesus Christ, God. In chapter 6 and verse 17, it talks about their wrath, meaning the Godhead. In chapter uh, 10 and verse 14 and in verse 19, in chapter, in chapter 14, I'm sorry, in chapter 10 and verse one, I think it is, in chapter 14, verse 10, and verse 19, in chapter 15, here, in verse 1, and again in verse 7, in chapter 16, in verse 1, and verse 19, and in chapter 19, verse 15, it is the wrath of God, and the wrath of God shows up so prominently in this book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation is primarily about the end of time, it is primarily about God winding this thing up and bringing this thing to a close. And like it or not, and, and you, I don't know where you might be in that, but like it or not, God winds this thing up. The conclusion of this thing includes judgment. I was reminded as I was studying this week of a passage of Scripture that I use often in, in my own life, and I've used it in other people's lives. It's just a, just a word of reminder to us. I think Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 says this, The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. Why? For God will bring every act to, what's that word? Judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or Evil. So it is the fact that there is this judgment and this, the end and this conclusion included in this is all part of this judgment. Now, I've mentioned this before a couple times in the last couple of weeks. I'll say it again. I know that speaking of the wrath of God is not very popular. Um, it, it's, I know that it's difficult uh, to sit here week after week and, and just hear about these judgments now which have gone on for weeks and really months to look at this judgment of God and this, this, this wrath of God. And I know that there are people that don't necessarily like to, to hear that. I, I, I know that there have been people who have, who have visited cross culture, especially uh, during this study of Revelation, who uh, have not cared for my preaching because uh, they cared for a style that was more that pointed towards the, the God of, of love and, and forgiveness and the, and the God that wants to, to bless us. And, and, uh, and so it hasn't been their particular uh, cup of tea. I, I know this is hard. Listen, can I tell you this? It, 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 it weigh, it's weighing on me after nine months. And it's weighing on me to study and then teach week after week after week about these these awful, terrible judgments that are going to be poured out on, on men and women who, who reject the true God to embrace a false God. I, I can only imagine what it must have been like for the Apostle John to pen these words and to receive vision after vision after vision of, of God's judgment falling and falling and falling. I can, I can only imagine what that must have been like. So I, I know this is not easy. And I commend you for for hanging in this week after week after week. It's not easy. But God has said he's going to bring this thing to a conclusion as he has determined. And part of that conclusion, as I said, includes judgment. And so, here we are in chapter 15 again, in the middle of judgment again. And these seven angels coming out with these seven plagues. But... Before we get to those plagues in chapter 16, and we'll start into them next week, and before we even get to 
the, the introduction of those plagues, which shows up just a little in a few minutes farther down in chapter 15, we first come to, again, one of these worship scenes in heaven. I, I know I'm weird, but uh, I've been fascinated by these worship scenes in heaven that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation. Partly what, I, what I've been so fascinated about them is that they teach us something about our worship, I think. I think they teach us something about our worship and, and what it is. But even more importantly, I think they teach us about God. I think the worship scenes that we have looked at throughout the book of Revelation are teaching us about the very nature and about the very attributes of God. And so, in Revelation chapter 15, John sees this this sign. It's his introduction. These angels are coming out. But then suddenly in verse 2, there's like this shift. He says, And I saw something like a sea of glass. Now, I um, don't know for sure, but this sea of glass is probably the same sea of glass that is first mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, this sea of glass is referred to as being like crystal. In other words, it was crystal clear. The symbolism, most people believe, is that the sea of glass represents the, uh, the, the, the holiness of God. It represents the purity and the holiness of God. The sea of glass surrounding the throne of God, and we first saw that in Revelation chapter 4. We've seen it a couple of times throughout uh, the rest of the study. It's, it's picturing, this is, it's symbolic. This is the, uh, the holiness, the purity of God. By, by the way, I, um, I, I didn't mention this, um, but it's right here in verse 2 where he says, I saw something, in, in my translation, New American Standard says, like a sea of glass. Some translations have as unto uh, a sea of glass. Just remind you of this, especially if you're filling in blanks, I think you've got an outline for this. Um, as unto is the same thing as like. It's just, it's, it's the same thing. It's and, and John's done that a lot in his study. It's like this. It's like this. It's, it's, it's kind of like this. John's not saying that he saw a literal sea of glass. What he's saying is, is that a sea of glass best describes what it was he saw. And in this case, in verse 15, this sea of glass is mixed with fire. Symbolically, probably representing the fact that God's purity and God's holiness, remember that's the sea of glass, God's purity and holiness is now producing God's fiery judgments on the earth, that they are coming out, that it's time for the, that his purity and holiness has been there all along, but now there, we get to chapter 15 when John looks and he sees that sea of glass again, and now it's got fire on it. It's burning with fire. Symbolism, I believe, is, is that God's fiery judgment is coming out as a result of his purity and holiness. Think about it. What is fire used for, oftentimes? It's used to burn off impurities. It's, it's, it's used to get rid of the impurities. And that's, in essence, what God is doing through these tribulation judgments. He's removing the impurities. He's preparing the earth for his reign on it. And so he saw the sea of glass mixed with fire. And then it says something else. He says, And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, and they're holding harps of God. If you've been with us throughout this study, that, those references there are probably pretty familiar to you. Uh, the beast, his image, and uh, the number of his name, probably pretty familiar to you. 
It's probably pretty obvious uh, that John is referring to those people living during the tribulation period who will reject the, the Antichrist, who will refuse to bow down and worship his image, and who will refuse to take the mark of the beast. That's who he sees standing now on this sea of glass, victorious. They refuse, they reject the Antichrist, they refuse to bow down and worship his image. We saw all that, and they reject his, and they refuse to take his number, the number of his name. And we discussed all of that when we looked at it as well. Listen to me. They will come into a relationship. They will reject, they will refuse all of that, and they will embrace Jesus Christ as their true Savior. They will, they will come to faith in him as, as Savior and God. They will die in the tribulation period. They will die, based on what God teaches us, what we've already seen and what we will see. They will die for their faith in Christ. The term is martyred. They will be martyred. Comes from the Greek word martyr, which simply means witness. But it came to mean anyone who was a faithful witness even to the point of death. It came to mean someone who was killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what will happen to these tribulation saints gathered here on the sea of glass that's on fire. They, are, they have overcome. They've had victory over the Antichrist and his idol and, and the mark of his name. I think, I think they show up here in the middle of this judgment, because verse 1 kind of starts out like we're about to jump into the, to the introduction of the judgment, and then all of a sudden we jump into this worship. I think they show up in the middle of this judgment because they are the last ones, as I understand scriptures, they are the last ones who will come into a relationship with Jesus Christ before the final judgments are poured out, before the final bowl judgments are poured out. Like I said, He's used the trumpet judgments. He's used the sealed judgments. But quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the sealed judgments and the trumpet judgments compared to the bowl judgments are like a walk in the park on Sunday with ice cream compared to what's coming in in chapter 16. So I I, I think that they are there because they're the last ones that are coming into this relationship with God before the end times, before the final judgments are poured out. And I think, it's just me, but I think that they teach us something about worship. I think they teach us something about this, this whole idea of what it is to, to worship God for, for who He is and for what He has done. And I was thinking about that in, in relation to our lives. Um, the, the more adversity you go through in your life or, or difficulty that you may have in your life, as you learn uh, to kind of to let go and let God, as I like to say sometimes, as you, turn to, as you learn to let go and let God work in your life and work in these circumstances, work in situations, uh, you, you begin to see God's hand move in, in significant ways, I think, at times in your life. And that affects your worship. I think their worship there at the throne is affected by all that they had been through and how they had been delivered from that. And we'll look at their, their song in just a moment. But it, it, the truth is, what happens in your life in itself is an act of worship. We, we say that a lot around. BJ says that a lot around here. I say that. That worship is, is not simply something 
that we gather on Sunday to do or something that's musical. Notice that they have harps of God. The text specifically says they're being given harps of God, which I think is simply saying that this is a cause for celebration and God's the one who's made this all possible in the first place. And it points out that music is significant in, in our worship of God. It does. Music is significant. On all these worship scenes that we've looked at, but everybody seems like singing. There's trumpets, there's harps, there, you know, the, the, the 24 elders are singing, the angels are singing, those gathered around the throne, they're singing, these guys are singing, everybody's singing. That's not to say, as I said, that, that musical worship is the only part of worship is something that goes on in our lives all the time. As Casting Crown says, let my life song sing to you, that, 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 that my life, my, my very life, my actions, my attitudes, my thought processes, all of those become an act of worship to God. And when I gather here on Sunday, quite honestly, it should simply be an overflow of, of what's gone on in my life the rest of the week. Uh, Friday night, uh, Friday nights, uh, Cindy and I normally hang the big banner, uh, big cross-culture sign banner out front here on the corner of, of O'Neill and, and Leesville Road. Uh, Cindy calls it our, our Friday date night. Um, uh, because she knows that uh, we've all got, got to hang that sign. So uh, we normally hang it out on Friday nights. We leave it there all weekend, and then we take it down on Sunday nights so it can have some exposure over the, the weekend. Some of you have come because you, you saw that, uh, that sign and others that we've placed around. So we normally take it down on Friday night and uh, take it up on, on Sunday night. Well, we, we normally put it up, you know, five, six o'clock, something like that, while it's still daylight, okay? This past Friday night, um, I, I had to hang it up by myself, and I wasn't able to hang it up at the normal time when I usually do five, six o'clock. Instead, I got by there at 11 o'clock. I pulled, pulled up there, you know, whipped it around there on, on O'Neill and pulled up there to the corner of Leesville. It's 11 o'clock at night, right? And if you've seen the sign, there's a big banner and the pipes and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, um, we have... Uh, buried in the ground, flush with the ground, pipes that you stick the frame pipes into so that the sign will stand up, right? Well, it's 11 o'clock at night, um, and, and I cannot, for the life of me, I cannot find these, these holes in the ground, these pipes, right? I'm down here on the ground. I, I, even, I even took my shoes off. I took my shoes off because... Well, I won't take them off now. I took my shoes off because I thought, well, if I step on it, I'll feel the pipe. And so I'm down here on the ground, and I'm just doing this everywhere, you know. And, you know, by the traffic light, light. And, and I cannot find these holes. And this is like 20 minutes this goes on. I'm telling you, for 20 minutes, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm at one end, you know, where, and I'm trying. I know it's somewhere around here. And I'd give up, and I'd go over to the other end. I'd come over here because I know there's one over here too. And I'd start fishing around. And, feeling, and, and I cannot find these holes. And, uh, and people are going by, you know, and people are stopping at the traffic light. And I don't have to look. I know they're looking at me, right? And I hear, I'm down here doing this, and I know they're all looking at me, and I know what they're thinking. Oh, oh, look at that poor homeless man. He's trying to find something to eat in the grass. You know, they're thinking that, or, or they're thinking, look at that drunk. He can't even get up. Call the police. You know, so I cannot, I'm going to find this sign. Anywhere, I started to give up. I started to give up. I'll come back in the morning when I can see the grass is taller in the summer. And it's, I'll come back in the morning. And I thought, no, no, these are holes in the ground. How hard can they be to find? So I keep going. And, I cannot, and so, and honestly, 
This is how spiritual I am, I guess, at times. It hadn't even occurred to me to ask God about these holes in the ground. I, uh, you know, I just I hadn't even thought about asking, asking God. I guess that's because I don't, I don't usually lose stuff. I'm, I'm very much a place for everything and everything in its place, and I usually know where my stuff is. Um, so I, it just hadn't occurred. So finally, <laughs> I said, uh, I was sitting here like I said, Lord, Lord Jesus, <laughs> Lord it is late. It's kind of creepy out here, quite honestly. <laughs> and, you know, people going by, and they're thinking I'm weird and everything. Lord, could you please help me find this hole? I, I put my hand to the ground. After, after praying this prayer, I put my hand to the ground. I, 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 my finger went right in the hole. Went right in the hole. Instantly. So, man, I was so happy. You'd have thought, I just found out I was going to get to play golf on Augusta National or something. I, 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 put, I, put, that, I put that pipe in the ground. You know, I've got the sign all put together. I put the pipe in the ground. And now normally it's easy then at that point to find the other hole in the ground because the, the sign only goes so far. So it's just a matter of finding the angle of where that hole is. Well, I cannot find it again. I'm, I'm, I know it's there. I'm poking. I'm pushing. And I cannot find it. I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I only went another, another minute or two. When I, and I just said, Lord please. <laughs> Lord, please. Traffic light is my witness. I put my hand down, my finger went right in the hole. Right, right, right in. Now listen, you, you might think that's silly, I, but I'm telling you, if you, just, if you just hang out with God, if you just let him work in your heart and your life, if, if you're thinking about him during the week and his purposes and his plan for your life, if you're, if you're saying to him, God, uh, just, just reveal yourself to me. God, just, just move in my life. And God, use me to move in other people's lives today. It, to, that whole idea of just thinking about uh, the purposes and plans of God's and how this week he might, he might use me. I, I'm telling you, if you do, it, it will affect how you look at things and it will affect your worship of him. And, you, and, and you, just a heart full of gratitude for him. In, in this case, uh, these uh, gathered there, the uh, text says in verse 3, that they sang, watch this, the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, because there's a definite article in front of each one of those, some people believe that it's two different songs that they sang, that the, those gathered there around the throne sang two different songs. I don't, I don't really think so. And here's why. Um, the Song of Moses almost certainly is referring to Exodus chapter 15. Um, Exodus chapter 15, Moses leads the Israelites in a song of praise and glory to God for delivering them through the Red Sea from their enemy, the Egyptians. So God leads them through, so Moses leads them through a song of, of, a song of victory, a, a song of, of rescue. A song of deliverance. Well, if you think about it, the song of the Lamb would be the same thing. Those uh, tribulation saints who have been persecuted and killed for their faith, they stand now before the throne of God and they have a song of victory to sing. Because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, they have a victory. They have a song of, of rescue. They have a song of deliverance. Ladies and gentlemen, that has always been the song of God's people. Old Testament, church age, tribulation period believers, it's the same song. Our song should have the same purposes that their songs have. It should be a song of 
victory because we have victory over death. It's a song of, of deliverance from sin. It's a song of rescue from our enemy, knowing that Christ has conquered and that we have victory, deliverance, and rescue from a, from a life of, of purposelessness and an eternity in hell. It's the same song. It's the song of God's people, which is why I think our songs should always have that flavor to them. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm a student of the church. I, I love to study and, and dissect the church, both historically and the, and the church in which we live in uh, today. You know, in the midst of all of the worship wars that have gone on in all of the churches in the discussions ab- about uh, traditional versus contemporary and, and, and hymns versus choruses and, and which instruments should be used and which instruments shouldn't be used. In the midst of all of it, as best I can tell, ladies and gentlemen, God has only ever had two expectations for our worship of Him. Can I tell you that? God's only ever had two expectations of our worship for Him. The content of it and the and the intent of it. That, that's the only ones he's ever had. The content of our worship. Listen. It can be a deep, thought-provoking, thought-probing, theological treatise magnum opus. Or it can be a simplistic chorus. It can be fast, it can be slow, it can be loud, it can be soft. But what it had better be is about God. He is the content of our worship because He is the focus of our worship. Whatever our focus, or whatever our worship is, whatever flavor it takes on, what it must always be is about God. His attributes, His victories, His actions... He's the content of it. That's an expectation that God has for our worship. And the, and the intent, the intent of it, listen, it can be the most beautiful song, sung beautifully, played masterfully, enjoyed immensely. But if the intent of the song is not to glorify God, it is a waste of our time and a dishonor to our Lord. The intent of the song to glorify Him. That's the expectations that God has for our worship. And that's, I think, what we see with those gathered here on this sea of glass. Those who have, who have overcome their enemy and they've, they've had victory. I don't have time, I wish I did, I don't have time to go through some of the various uh, aspects or attributes of God that you see in their worship when they begin to talk about great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways. But you could look at those and you, you could pull out, you could see, yes, God is that, and there's God, and there's how God's working, and that's God. It's all about God, it's His content, it's, the content is God, and the intent is to glorify Him. Verse 5 through 8. Let me just say this. In verse 5 through 8, we come back to this sober reality of judgment. We come back to where we've been now for weeks and months. And John looks and he saw the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. I wish I had time to go into the historical background about the tabernacle of testimony. But almost certainly what he's referring to is the holy of holies. What, what he sees symbolically in heaven is, is the holy of holies. is the place where, where God dwelt among his people in the earthly tabernacle and i don't have time to go into all the background of it but the point is here's here's this here's the symbolism of it that john 
sees that and he sees these seven angels with these seven plagues. He sees them coming out from the temple. He sees them coming out from the presence of God. In other words, here's what what I think is important for us to understand that, that this is God's work. This is still God's work. God is sending them out. God has commanded them to go now and to take this final judgment that he has to bring all of this to a conclusion before his return and he establishes his kingdom on earth. He sends them out and as they're going out, they're given these bowls full of wrath, it says, which seems to imply that God has been holding this thing back. God has been merciful. God has been patient. God has been long-suffering, but that's come to an end. No more now. This final judgment has come. And listen, let me read this and then we'll close. Verse 8 is significant. Verse 8 says this, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The temple was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And the Ark of the Covenant had for its, which was a chest, had for its lid what was known as the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where sacrifice was offered. And God met his people. It is significant that God says now here in verse 8, the temple is closed. You know what he's saying? It's no more. No more. People used to ask me, do you think, do you think there ever comes a point where, where uh, God gives up on a person? There ever comes a point where, where God doesn't work anymore in a person's life? And, and, and I've had various ways of answering that. But, but after reading this, I, I say, yeah, there does come a point. Because these who have, have bowed to the Antichrist and his idol and have taken the mark of, of his number, it's, it's too late. And no one can go in where the mercy seat is anymore. Listen to me. They can still go in now, today. That's part of the point of, of what he's trying to teach us through all of these judgments. You can still go in now, today. The people that you know without a relationship with Jesus can still go in now, today. The temple has not been closed yet. The the presence of God, access to the mercy seat and to receive forgiveness through the blood of his son, Jesus shed. It's not too late now. There'll come a point when it will be too late. That point is not now. So the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle for Revelation chapter 15 is short and sweet. It's, It's simply this. Worship to him, woe to them. Our God is so worthy of our worship, isn't he? The song that he's placed in our hearts truly is a song of victory, a victory he secured by giving his life on the cross for our sins. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, the most important thing to remember about our worship is the content and the intent, keeping in mind that worship isn't only what we do in church on Sunday. Worship is the giving of myself to God where he's the center of all that we do. As we saw today, there's a day coming when God's mercy will come to an end. That should be more than enough motivation for each of us to share the love of God with those around us while still in this age of grace. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with God, we'd love to help you understand how that's possible. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. 
We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.